man. God bless you. I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my tomb till I met you. Oh, I was breathing, but not. failures I've tried to hide It was my tomb Until I met you You called my name And I ran out of that grave Out of the darkness Into your glorious day song, isn't it? Amen. Real quick, just before we get started um, this evening, I want to make mention that tomorrow evening at 6 o'clock, Sunday evening at 6 o'clock, we're going to be having um, a volunteer meeting. And so if you're here tonight and you have recently put a uh, card in or uh, you've done something at the information center where you filled out the card that says, I'm interested in volunteering, tomorrow is the meeting that we're going to be having for that. We are going to be speaking about three things specifically that we can volunteer in, and that's going to be in Jacob's Ladder, uh, the Community Assistance Center, and Children's Church. Uh, But even, I want to just say that even if you're not interested in those areas, please come anyway, because we can still get you some great information. There'll be a lot of information about volunteerism here at Praise Chapel, and then uh, if, you, if at that time you can just let us know and we can see if we can plug you into another area. And so I want you to write that down, 6 o'clock tomorrow evening. So everybody that got a card, if you, if you haven't gotten a uh, contact from us, if you haven't got a phone call or an email or a text or smoke signals or whatever, uh, just, uh, just you, all you have to do is come. And you say, well, I didn't fill out a card. I haven't said nothing. I haven't even known about it. Still come. <clears throat> Amen. You can come anyway. And so uh, anyone that's looking to volunteer would like to be a part of what we're doing here, 6 o'clock tomorrow evening, so mark that down. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me over to First Chronicles, First Chronicles chapter 14, First Chronicles chapter 14. Now, we're going to get to that text probably about halfway through the sermon, so I have not, I, I promise you, I won't forget it. But I need to, I kind of want to set the stage on some stuff here because I believe it's really important and I kind of want to methodically go through this. So you just hang on to that spot, First Chronicles chapter 14. We'll make sure that it's up on the uh, screen when we get to it, but, but hang on with me. Now last week, we talked about um, taking the time, being deliberate in finding a place at the feet of Jesus. 
How many remember that? That it, it was such a. I, I had so many people come to me and talk about that with me and how much that helped them and, and to encourage them. I know for me, it encouraged my life, and it's it's something that all week, all this whole week, I've been thinking about and 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 being active in finding myself, being deliberate at finding a place at His feet. We talked about the importance of communing with God and with Jesus, learning from Him and growing in him and talking with him. Now, in the next few weeks, I want to stay in that same vein of thinking, talking about prayer, but specifically this week, what I want to talk about is the secret to a breakthrough. Now, I want you to think about this with me. When you think about a breakthrough, what are we really talking about? When we, you know, we have a ministry here called Breakthrough. Every third Friday of the month, we get together we have worship and prayer, and we do all kinds of things, and we call it breakthrough. And, you know, breakthrough can be a very generic term, but when you think about it, what are you really thinking about? Well, I sat down and just kind of pondered that, and I thought, well, what does it mean to me? And in the most simplest of terms, breakthrough means to me that something's got to change. How many know what I'm talking about? Now, what that means is things have become too intense, or I have become too weak, or things are too rough, or too weird, or too painful, or whatever. The reality is something has got to change. Has everybody been in that situation? Something has got to... Have you ever said that to yourself? You're thinking, something has got to change. I need something to change. We've all been there. We've all needed... And when I say needed, I'm not talking about wanted, but we needed. There's a big difference between a want and a need. You know, I want pizza. I need air. You know, I could go the rest of my life without eating any more pizza. And you say, you probably should. But I can't go very long without air. I need air. I want pizza. And so I'm talking about we come to a place where we need God to move on our behalf. We've all been there. Now, over the years of ministry, I've discovered that it's in these times that there is a real problem that we face. Not just the problem that we have a need in, but the need itself brings another problem. Because when it comes to waiting on God, when it comes to sitting at the feet of Jesus, when it comes to waiting for him to move in our behalf, waiting for our breakthrough, we face a very real temptation. And that temptation is to take matters into our own hands. We build, we tear down, We make plans, we develop a vision, we make lists, we draw diagrams, we complain, we worry, we doubt, we get fearful, we get angry, we even ignore the problem. And all of this is an attempt to fix the problem that we need God to move in. Think about it with me. (laughs) This is really kind of, I'm going to kind of tell on myself here a little bit, okay? Sometimes when I don't know what to do, I go do something. I know how to build things. So when I don't know what to do, I go build something. 
Why? Well, because I feel like I'm doing something. I, or I go tear something down. I'm, I'm exceptionally good at demolition. Yeah. I, I'm pretty good at construction, but I'm really, I'm like an expert as my wife. <laughs> about eight, nine years ago, I think it was about eight years ago now, because Jason, well, man, it's nine years, 12 years ago. Jason, Jason left for Hume Lake when he graduated from high school, and, when, and that was in 2008. And, and I, while he was gone, I got the, I, got, I was sitting in the bathtub in the, in, in the bathroom, and I said, this bathroom needs to be remodeled. I was in one of those moments when I didn't know what to do, but I knew that the bathroom needed to be remodeled. So I went in and I tore everything out of the bathroom except for the bathtub. And when you say everything, I'm saying concrete on the floor, studs for walls. Everything out. The bathtub remained. It is now 2017. I have moved into a new house. Andy and Shay have moved into that house. They bought it from us. And the bathroom still needs to be completed. <laughs> they, they, they moved in and did a great big remodel, but the, the remodel was like in the living area because that's where everybody sees. Not everybody sees the bathroom. And, and they ran out of the money before they got down the hall. And, and now my demolition still exists. There's some of it is drywall, not all of it. Well, I did enough plumbing so that I could take a bath in there. But I'm really good at demo. And a lot of times what happens is all of those things are really our attempt to get involved. We're trying to fix the problem. So we're taking matters into our own hands. And so I want you to think about this for a moment because in 1 Samuel 13, the Bible shares a story with us and that I think that we need to pay attention to. And it says, Samuel said, what have you done? That's kind of like my wife when she came home after I ripped out the bathroom. What have you done? And Saul said, when I saw the people were scattered from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash, then I said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal and I have not made supplication with the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled. And I offered a burnt offering. Now, here's Saul, and he's faced with a dilemma. War is about to erupt. The people are running in fear. He doesn't know what to do, and he needs a word from God. Now, this is not, he want, this is not I want a word. I need a word from God, and he knows that he's already been told to wait. The prophet already told him, you need to wait. You need to wait. But Samuel, the prophet of God, is late. Yeah, no, you've been there. Wait on God, and it's like, hey, God. He stinks. He's in the grave four days, and he stinks. And you're still dilly-dallying. We've all felt that, right? So here's Saul. And in his mind, he reasons that something has got to be done. And the story tells us that he calls for a sacrifice. Forget the fact that Old Testament doctrine was that only prophets and priests could offer sacrifice unto the Lord. It was not in the purview of the king to do any of that. He could call for sacrifice, but he could not administer sacrifice. Soon Samuel comes on the scene. 
and confronts Saul and his disobedience. And look how Saul frames this. He says these words in the New King James Version. He says, I felt compelled. In the King James, he says, I forced myself. And in the Message Bible, he says, I took matters into my own hands. And you know what? It didn't work out well for Saul. Go ahead and read the rest of that story. You'll find out that the consequences of taking matters into his own hands had, had long, lifelong, eternal consequences. And this is the very problem that you and I often face in our lives as we are confronted, or I should say when we are confronted with life, we're often tempted to go do something. We want to trust God. We want to trust his word. We, we want to trust his goodness, his plan. We, we want to sit at the feet of Jesus. We want to wait on the Lord. We want to pray. But like Saul, we just feel forced. I got to do something. I can't just sit here. And we take matters into our own hands. Well, I want you to understand something that you're not alone in this. You're not alone in this temptation. Some great characters and men of God and people in the Bible, probably the greatest of all, was faced with this same problem. Look in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights... Afterward, he was hungry, and now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It's written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Look at verse 3 in this story. The devil comes, and he says, he says Look at if you really are who you say you are, then do something about how you're feeling. You know you're hungry, Jesus. You've been fasting 40 days and 40 nights. You're, you're weak. You're, you're vulnerable. Why, why don't you do something? You're, if you're the son of God, certainly you could change these stones to be made bread, can't you? And right here, Jesus is facing all kinds of temptation. His identity is being challenged. And he's being challenged to go, you know what, God? I'm going to override, Father, what you've told me, and I'm going to take matters into my own hands. But listen to what Jesus says. Because Jesus responds. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, why would that be significant? Well, think about it this way. Bread is the outcome of human endeavor. We get a bowl, we put flour and yeast and salt and sugar and the different things and we knead it and we put it together and we, we, we roll it and we do all of that. We form it into a loaf, we let it rise, we put it in a pan, put it in the oven and the result of our ingenuity and effort is bread. But God's word is divine intervention. It's divine process. So Jesus says, in effect, Man does not live by human intervention. He lives by divine intervention. He doesn't live by human process. He lives by divine process. See, countless numbers of people have failed in the wilderness right here. They have failed waiting on God. They've failed 
in being at the feet of Jesus because at some point, they go, somebody's got to do something. And they took matters into their own hands. I declare to you, nobody's got to do anything right at the moment. Except one thing, and we'll get to that here in a minute. Think about the children of Israel with the golden calf. That is a grand experiment in taking matters into your own hands. Children of Israel are there. Moses goes up in the mountain to get the law. He's talking with God. He's been there 40 days and 40 nights. Children of Israel are starting to get a little antsy because they don't know if he's even ever going to come back. And they're thinking, we need a leader. We need somebody, something to worship. We need God. We need a God. And they're going, somebody's got to do something. So the Bible tells us that they go to Aaron and they say, Aaron, what are we going to do? And Aaron says, well, break off all the gold in your ears and your rings and your bracelets and all that and bring it to me. And he fashions a golden calf and they begin to worship the golden calf because they took matters into their own hands. Yeah. That's something we need to pay attention to. And here's what I want you to see in this. I I want to show you that rather than taking matters into your own hands, rather than saying, you know what, this is out of my control. I can't seem to do anything about it. I I don't know what to do, so I'm going to do something. We need to learn the secret of a breakthrough. See, in any area of your life, whether it be your marriage, your family, your health, your finances, a job, your ministry... Whatever area of your life may be under attack, you're going to encounter barriers. You're going to encounter obstacles and hindrances and difficulties and stumbling blocks. The Bible puts it this way. Think it not strange when there are varieties of trials that come against you. That's part of life. Jesus said it this way. He says, be of good cheer. He says, in this world... You'll have tribulation. He said, but, in, but be of good cheer, for I've overcome the world. In other words, what he's saying is life has got its ups and downs, and there are going to be hindrances. There are going to be stumbling blocks and limitations. But for many, what the happens is because they don't seek a breakthrough, because they don't learn the secret of a breakthrough, these boundaries become the definition of their life. Success is limited. Opportunity is stunted, goals are unmet, dreams are unrealized, hope is deferred, and we become hemmed in, believing it's impossible to get beyond these things. And we become disillusioned. We begin to limit God because we define God by our boundary. Amen. All of a sudden, now God has to fit within our boundary. I'm telling you, he exists beyond your boundary. And you need to understand that these barriers are spiritual in nature, and therefore they need to be dealt with by spiritual means. And it's right here that we need to learn the secret. And the secret is very simple. Jack Hayford said this in his book, Prayer is Invading the Impossible. He said, the impossible faces us all. He says, it storms, it fumes, it looms before us, it stalks our days, presses on our minds, and bends our plans. The impossible 
stands formidably across our future. It pierces our present and it reaches out from the past. But there is a way to face impossibility. Invade it. Not with glib speech or high hopes, not in anger, not through stoical self-control, but with violence. Prayer provides the vehicle for this kind of violence. So what is the secret to a breakthrough? The secret to a breakthrough is prayer. I want you to listen to this. You know what? So many sermons are preached on prayer, and most Christians go just like this. I've heard it all before. You may have heard it all before, but are you doing it? We talked about sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning from him, growing, talking to him, communing with him. That's what prayer is. It is that connection between you and Jesus through the Holy Spirit. See, prayer is not a mystical experience that just a few special people enter into, but it's an aggressive act in the face of impossibility. It is an act that may be performed by anyone that accepts the challenge. Are you hearing what I'm saying? See, I believe today that God wants his church to get back to the power of prayer. I mean truly praying. Praying, talking with God, getting a hold of the horns of the altar, laying at his feet and saying, you know what, God, I'm not moving here until the mountain is moved. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So look at 1 Chronicles. This is our text. 1 Chronicles chapter number 14. The Bible says these words. Now when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over all Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. And David heard of it and went out against them. Then the Philistines went and made a raid on the valley of Rephaim. And David inquired of God saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said to him, Go up, for I will deliver them into your hand. So they went up to Baal-perazim, and David defeated them there. Then David said, God has broken through my enemies by my hand like a breakthrough of water. Therefore they called the name of that place Baal-perazim. And when they left their gods there, David gave a commandment. And they, bur- and they were burned with fire. Now notice this evening what David did when he encountered a barrier. When his enemies rose up against him. The Bible says that he inquired of the Lord. David prayed. Now listen, David was an incredible soldier. He was a great general. There was probably no one that understood battle and the ways of battle more than him. David was a master strategist. He was was always the one that kind of got out of the box when it came to battle. Amen. He had countless victories, primarily because God had given him that kind of wisdom. But here was his secret. He prayed. Think about it. When the enemy came against him, he didn't go consult the generals. He didn't go to his best friends. He didn't go to the priest. He got alone with God and prayed. 
and said, what shall I do? What shall I do, God? This is the same example that Jesus gives us in Luke 5.16. Listen to these words. He himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. He got alone with the Father. This is where our power comes from, church. It's where breakthrough will come. Think about our text. Once David prayed... Wisdom came. Breakthrough came. Notice it says this. It was like a breakthrough of water. See, God didn't just give him a little teeny tiny answer. He broke the dam. The barrier burst open like a dam breaking that was filled with water. But this story doesn't stop here. And I want you to pay attention to this. Look in verse 13. The Bible says, Then the Philistines once again, these guys don't learn, do they? Once again made a raid on the valley. Therefore David inquired again of the Lord. Are you catching what I'm saying? And God said to him, You shall go up after them, circle around them, and come up uh, upon them in the front of the mulberry trees. And it shall be when you hear a sound of marching in the top of the mulberry trees, then you shall go out to battle. For God has gone out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. So David did as God commanded him, and they drove back the army of the Philistines from Gibeon as far as Gezer. The lesson that we learn here is this, is that some barriers are persistent. Some enemies are persistent. They will come back again and again and again. What is the lesson? We must be persistent as well. But listen, what happens oftentimes is we kind of grow little weary in this and we go well you know I don't know you know last time we prayed and you know they ran off but here they are again what's up with that I don't, I don't know God had a new strategy see if you don't go back to prayer you won't find that God has see God's not done God's got a lot of tricks in his bag of goodies and generally God's tricks aren't going to be yours listen to what he says he, he tells David, he, can you imagine what David's men must have been thinking? These are hardened soldiers. These are the mighty men of David. I mean, these are the guys that jump in a pit with a, a, a tiger on a snowy day or whatever. I mean, these are the guys that the sword cleaved to his hand and he killed 800 men in one afternoon. These are the guys that David said, you know what, I'd like to drink a a cup of cool water from the well of Bethlehem. And so his men went behind enemy lines to get David a glass of water. And then David pours it out. You're going to have to see this. These guys are bad to the bone. And David comes up with a plan. Actually, it's God's plan. God looks at him and says, here, I'll tell you what. When you hear the sound of marching in the top of the mulberry trees, then go to battle. What? David, have you hit your head on a stone? What? You know, maybe you need to stop. I don't, that's crazy, David. That didn't make sense. But David, the Bible says, did as God commanded him. 
See, when you go to prayer, God is going to speak to you, and he's going to give you instruction. Do that. It don't make sense. I know, I know. It won't make sense. It never does. Why? Because God says if you want to live, you got to die. If you want to gain, you got to give. If you want to be first, you got to be last. If you want to be greatest among your people, then be servant to all. God, you, you're, you're backwards. You're right every time. But we insist on doing it our way, don't we? I'm going to just take matters in my own hands and I'm going to insist that I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it my way. Well, your way is what developed the problem you have a need in. Your way got you where you are. How's that working for you to quote Dr. Phil? And that's what we got to see. We, we, we need to go back to God and say, okay, God, this is round two. They obviously need another lesson from you. So what would you have me do? I'll tell you what. Just hang over around the mulberry trees, and when you hear marching, go get them. Okay? That's what we'll get. Boys, hold. Well, we'd like to go. Man, they're right there. We could get them. I know. I don't hear no marching yet. Do you? Nope. Well, I think it. No, that's wind. Shh. It's quiet. We're listening for marching. Well, when are we going to hear marching? Shut up. We'll hear it. Can you see the scene? It's crazy. Then all of a sudden, they heard the marching, and he goes, go. And they went, and God went. God, God ran in front of them. And God got them before they could get there. I was, in a, I was in a conference. I don't know if I've shared this story with you, but I was in a conference um, back last year, at, somewhere in October of last year. And there was a man that was preaching. I think I've told this story, but if I have, just bear with me. But um, this man, he's a pastor of a church in, in, I believe it's Vacaville, California. And when he took over the church, the church was severely in debt, something like uh, $5 million in debt, and they were like $750,000 behind in their building payments. It was like just outrageous debt. And so he takes over the church, and he's doing the best he can. You know, they just can't seem to get it together. And finally, you know, the bank is calling him and saying, look, it, you know, we don't like foreclosing on churches, but we got to do something. And so they came up with this very radical plan. He says, you got to get rid of 40% of your staff, and the remaining staff got to take a 40% cut in pay. You know, it's, got, it's good, you know, have to be radical. And then you're going to have to sign a contract that says you'll never be laid on your building payment ever again under penalty of foreclosure, immediate, we'll call the loan immediately, and you'll lose the building. And so he, he, had, he had no choice. He did that. And then probably about a week after that, he, they had property. They had property that was attached to, their, to the, where the building was. And the pastor that had been there before had, had tried to do a building project but could never get it done. So one day he's walking through the property and God just speaks to him and says, I want you to start a building project. You're going to build a a new building right here and you're going to do it debt free. And it's going to cost about $4 million. Does that make sense? Just two weeks after I signed this, you know, 
thing. So he goes to the church and he stands up in church and says, God spoke to me and said that we're going to do a building project. Well, the church was excited and so they got behind him. And within like a couple months time, they were able to raise 120000 and they had the $120,000 in the bank. So he goes down to Phoenix to listen to Tommy Barnett preach and that was during the time they were raising money for the Dream Center in L.A., And so he's sitting there and Tommy Barnett begins to talk about this and what can be accomplished and all of that. And God speaks to this man, this pastor, and says, I want you to give out of the building fund. So he says, okay. And so he gets up. He goes out some hills behind the church and he's walking in the hills. They actually have a name for it. They call them the prayer hills back there. And he's walking in these hills and he says, okay, God. He says, I'm willing. How much? And God says, all of it. And so... So it just happened the guy that was with him is the administrator of the church and, and the guy that's in charge of all the bookkeeping and all that. So he gets in the car with him and he says, hey man, God just spoke to me to give to the Dream Center out of the building fund. And the guy says, oh, that's great. How much? And the guy says, all of it. He goes, how do we get that done? He goes, well, he goes, you're going to have to go back to the board and you have to have a unanimous vote of the board that they're going to do this. Then you have to go to the church And every person that gave, whether they gave a dime or a thousand dollars, has to sign a document that says they're releasing this to this cause. And if one person, if one vote on the board is dissenting, or if one person, so if one person gave a quarter and said no, but everyone else said yes, the deal's done. Has to be unanimous, 100%. (laughs) So he did it. Went to the board, the board was unanimous. Went to the church, and every single person said yes. So he wrote a check and gave it to Tommy Barnett, $120,000. And he's sitting here and he's thinking, well, I guess that goes our building fund. About a month later, a guy walks in, a wealthy man, says it's time for this church to grow and writes a check for somewhere between one and a half and two million dollars, a check. It says, start there and then when you need more money, let me know. So they're going for it, they're doing it, they're doing all this stuff. They get towards the end of the building project and they were $650,000 short of finishing because of delays and materials and, you know, the city and, you know, building inspection and all of that. There was, there's always added cost in a building project. And so the guy, the, the donor, he's going, I want to see the church. I want to see it completed. And so he's walking through. So the pastor's taking him to all of the finished areas. Yeah, look at that, look at that. He goes, well, what about this? He goes, well, well, let's look over here. What about that? So finally he gets it, and and here they are in this big empty room. And he goes, well, what's happening here? He goes, well, we have no more money. He goes, we're $650,000 short. And he says, and possibly could be some more uh, uh, need even beyond that. We're not sure. The guy gets on his cell phone, calls his secretary, and says, write an $850,000 check now and put it in their account and this is how he ended the sermon when he was telling this story he says what I learned is listen to the Holy Spirit do what he says and everything will be okay see I don't know what you're facing I don't know what has gone on in your life but I know this that nothing will change until you pray. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, it says, 
this, these words. I, in fact, I think I have it on the screen. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of requ- prayers and requests. This, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. All prayer. All the time. For everything. In the context of that verse, Paul has spent considerable time talking about the armor of God. And then he tells us something that we have to pay attention to in verse 12. He says, your battle is not with flesh and blood. He says, it's against principalities, against powers, against rulersness of the darkness, and against your wife and your neighbor and the person that you don't like at church and everybody on Facebook that doesn't agree with you. No, no, wait, wait, that, somehow that changed in my thing. You know, these electronic devices, they, they change stuff. So let, let's read it in what it really says. It says, your fight is not, your battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness in heavenly places, period. No comma, no addition. That is your battle. Your battle is not with the one sitting next to you. Your battle is not the one that hurt you. Your battle is not the one that spoke against you. Or your, the battle is not the one that doesn't believe in you. Your battle is not with the one that's on Facebook that's talking. It doesn't matter. Your battle is with principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, in spiritual places. Okay? Therefore, the only way to deal with problems that come out of that is to deal with them spiritually. And prayer is the only tool that works. If you can fix it, it ain't a problem. Well, I can fix that. It ain't a problem. Well, I got got a big problem. No, you don't. If you can fix it, it's not a big problem. Listen, the battle you're facing right now will be won or lost in the privacy of your prayer life. Listen to me. The battle you are facing right now will be won or lost in the privacy of your prayer life. If you pray, if you get a hold of God and earnestly pray, it will be won. But if you neglect the prayer room, You neglect the prayer life, the prayer closet, whatever that is in your life. If you neglect that that gift of prayer, you will lose the battle. Why? Because you are no match for the principalities, powers, rulers of darkness on your own. We are no match for that. We need him. Prayer is the underlying power in all that happens spiritually in our lives. The lack of it has severe consequences. The practice of it has dramatic power. You cannot deny that. We underestimate the power of prayer. So many times we underestimate it. In Psalms fifty-five sixteen, the Bible says this, As for me, I will call upon God. This is David. And the Lord shall save me. Even evening, morning, and at noon, I will pray and cry aloud. And he shall hear my voice. He has redeemed my soul in peace from the battle that was against me. For there were many 
against me. Are you hearing that? See, the spiritual battlefield that we're on is in your prayer closet. That's where the battle is won or lost. That's where we invade the impossible and stand against the power of the enemy. Are you hearing me? Listen, as I bring this to a close tonight, prayer is fundamental to our spiritual lives. Church, if, if you are serious about being a Christian, if, if you're here tonight and you're saying, you know what, Christianity means something to me. If that's you, if being saved, that means something. It's not just a religious activity or you're not just marking time or, or whatever. You're saying Christianity means something to me. Then prayer has to be the top of the list for you. Spending time at the feet of Jesus in communication with him. Talking to him. Listen, I can show you in Scripture, I can prove it scripturally, and, and, and I'll get to that later in this little series that we do. But when you are prepared in prayer, you will have already defeated the battle that is yet to come. So how do you know that? The disciples were trying to cast a demon out of a little boy that they thought had epilepsy. He was doing his thing, throwing himself in the fire and the water. And the disciples were, weren't getting the job done. Jesus comes on the scene. And the man, the father goes through and says, your disciples can't get it done. Can you help me? And Jesus says, oh, you have little faith. He says, this kind comes out by prayer and fasting. And there's all kinds of debate and, and conversation about what he was talking about. But when you really sit down and you talk about that verse of Scripture, you begin to see that his his emphasis wasn't so much on the demon coming out, but emphasis on the preparation of the heart. What did we hear about Jesus? Often, he would go into the wilderness and pray. So when he was confronted with the battle, it was already won. It was now just a simple matter of enforcing what had been already won in the prayer room. See, church, we're always behind the eight ball. We're, what we, our prayer life really is about crisis management. Do you hear what I'm saying? When we get into a crisis, then we go to prayer. And it's like you know, God wants to show us a secret. If you'll spend time in prayer, you won't have to manage the crisis because the crisis will be already over. You will have won the battle and never stepped up to shoot the gun. Why? Because in prayer, you won. In prayer, you minded out. It's so fundamental to our spiritual lives. And listen, it is also fundamental to the life of the church. How many know here today that we have a prayer room at this church? Many of you. On the other side of the, the classroom building, room number nine, it says prayer, prayer room. It's a room that's dedicated for people to go into prayer. We, there's lots of people that go in there various times. But that room is always open one hour before service. But generally, there's only maybe one or two people that go in there. Now, that's not... Listen to me. I'm not making an accusation. I'm just making an observation. 
I think that number ought to be higher. Because we're, we're, not, we're not coming to mark time. We're coming to encounter the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We're, we're coming to do business with the Lord. We're, we're coming to, to deepen our relationship. We're coming to see the lost one and the, the broken healed. And we're, we're coming to lay at His feet our needs. And, and we're coming to let Him encounter us. But without prayer, without prayer, it's actually frustrating. Jim Cimbala made this statement. He said, the Christian church was born not in a clever sermon, but in a prayer meeting. (laughs) Let me tell you something. Peter was anointed when he preached that first time. But I submit to you, that the results of the anointing upon him, the 3,000 that got saved, was not because he was that great of a preacher. It was because he spent time in prayer. See, Jesus never taught them to preach, but he did teach them to pray. There is no substitute. There's no amount of skill or talent that can replace what prayer will do in our lives. James 5.16 says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Are you hearing me? I don't preach this message. I'm, 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 I'm bringing this to a close. I don't preach this message as a, like I said, as an accusation. I don't, I don't come at you and go, well, you're a bunch of lazy slugs that need to pray more. That's, that's not what I'm trying to say. Because if that were the case, I would have to get at the head of that slug line. <laughs> what I'm saying is, I don't know that there's anybody here that would deny the reality that we want Jesus. And that we want our church to grow. We want to be a lighthouse in a dark and dying world. We, we want real, effective answers. We want redemptive answers for real problems. We, we don't want gut-wrenching problems to be answered by pre-rehearsed answers. When somebody comes in and, and has lost a loved one or their life is in shambles because of sin or or somebody that is going through devastating times in their life, it's just not enough anymore to look at them and go, hey, bro, believe God. It's not enough to say, you know what? <laughs> Jesus loves you. All of those things are true. I, I get that. We need, to lo- we, we need to be that love. We, we need to stop saying Jesus loves you and then not love people. We need to be that love, but the only way you're going to be that love is if you're in prayer. Because you're going to need it. Because some of them people coming in, they're not going to be all that lovely. This is the heart of God, church. It's the heart of God. He wants us to get a hold of Him. And I'm going to tell you, I, I, I'll say this and then I'll shut up and we'll go get a cheeseburger. When you start this process in your life, when you make a commitment, let me tell you, number one, number one, when you make the commitment, 
Hell is going to want to divert you. Hell is going to want to distract you. So hell is going to come up with everything. He's going to come up with the, everything from the reasonable to the unreasonable distractions to pull you away from prayer. Now, if you get beyond that and say, no, 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 I'm going through, I don't care. Then what he's going to do is he's going to bring you into a prayer room and you're going to feel really awkward. And you won't, you're going to feel like I'm talking to myself and, and, and you're going to feel like I, I'm not making a connection. I, I just can't connect. And what you're going to do is you're going to go, well, God, if you're not going to show up, then I'm not going to show up. Yeah, I know. You, okay, I say, if you're not, God, if you're not going to show up, I'm not going to show up. And I've done that. I've walked out of the prayer room going, you know what? Who cares? If you don't care enough to show up, then I'm not going to care enough to show up. And see, that's just a well-crafted distraction. That's just another tactic of the enemy to get me out of the place. What I got to do is sit down and through my frustration, say, I'm here, Lord, and I want to talk to you. And it may take more than 15 minutes to get the cobwebs out. You, you, you may have to clean the carburetor a little bit, if you know what I'm saying, for all the mechanics here. You, you might have to change the vacuum. You might have to do something. You, I, I don't know what you're going to have to do, but you're going to have to press through. But let me tell you, if you will press through, he will be there. Amen. And he will meet with you. And he will tell you wonders that you cannot imagine. And you will become addicted. And you'll find yourself getting up earlier and earlier. And you'll find yourself wanting more time and more time until you cannot take it anymore. Why? Because he is addictive. When you get him, you'll want nothing else. Are you hearing what I'm saying? If you want a spiritual breakthrough, then you need to find your place at the altar and let God touch you. Amen? Why don't you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you tonight, God, for this wonderful revelation. And we pray tonight, God, that you would help us, that you would encourage us. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would birth a hunger for prayer in each and every person in this room. Father, that we would, we would feel that at the core of our being, that we need to connect with you, that we need to talk with you and walk with you, that we need to be in communion with you. Father, help us to take this beyond the head knowledge, the being able to articulate it intellectually, but to be able to put it into our hearts where it's a passion that we live out every day. And I thank you for that, Lord. And I pray blessing upon every home and family, every man and woman in this place, God, your favor upon them tonight. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You can look up at me. Isn't God good? And I feel stirred about this tonight. I feel stirred. I hope you feel what I feel. Why don't you stand to your feet all across this place. Our prayer team is coming. If you need prayer for anything, come on up. Let them pray for you. For the rest of you, we love you. You guys have a great weekend. We'll see you next Saturday. God bless.